Now they're making Ghostbusters with only women. What's going on? Shut up and sit down. We will respond with that timeless creed that sums up the spirit of a people. Yes, we can. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other thing, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on Earth. I know the human being and fish can coexist peacefully. Read my lips. And then we're going to Washington, D.C. to take back the White House. Ah! I love the poorly educated. We're the smartest people. We're the most loyal people. I hate winter. <laughs> I don't want to talk about politics. I don't want to talk about Roger Stone or anything else. I want to talk about how fucking cold I am. Polar vortex. <laughs> it's so <laughs> terrible. Colder than Antarctica, mm-hmm. I saw. Mm-hmm. Colder than the surface of Mars, I heard. Than the average temperature on the surface of Mars. Fuck you, winter. And I'm done with the Midwest. <laughs> uh, on that note, hi, guys. We're going to talk about politics. This is Barstool Politics. I'm your host, Nick McGuire, joined as always by... Dr. Bill Muck from North Central College and uh, Dr. Phil Barker from Keene State College. Hi, guys. Hey, Nick. Hey. Hi. 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 It's cold. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm choking on the frost. You need you need a beer, Nick. I really need a beer. Um, yeah. Uh, before we get started, typical stuff. If you guys like the podcast, have questions, uh, comments, uh, beer suggestions, anything like that, follow us on Twitter at Barstool Paul P O L. Facebook at Barstool Politics, beers that we try, you can find on Untapped that you can download on iOS and Android. We are Barstool Politics on there, so look for our reviews. Uh, the podcast, iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play Music, Stitcher, most major podcasting platforms, so review us, share us, like us through all those fun things. Um, and then something else. Oh, Predicted, predicted yeah. of course. Um, yeah, if you guys uh, are, are regular listeners or new listeners... Uh, we partnered with uh, Predicted, which is a real money political prediction market, pretty much a stock market for politics, where you can buy and sell shares in future political events. Um, we use it pretty much every episode to kind of gauge what people are thinking about specific events, where they're putting their money. Um, it's a lot of fun. Um, and, you know, you can interact with uh, with what's going on uh, in the U.S., um, you know, more specifically. But they have world markets as well. So definitely check it out. Um, what's great for our listeners, uh, if you open up a new account, you'll receive up to a $20 match on your first deposit. So, for example, if you open up a $20 account, Predict It will match that $20, giving you $40 to use on Predict It. Super fun, Super fun. and free money. And we, we might be doing some more fun stuff with uh, Predicted over the next couple months. So yeah. get some new opportunities. Stay yeah. tuned. Stay tuned for that. Um, just use the uh, promo link, predicted.org slash promo slash barstoolpaul20. Um, did I miss anything? Oh, that was a good intro. Oh, uh, this evening, if you guys are around uh, and heard last time, I'll be doing a live uh, after hours thing starting around 7 o'clock central. Uh, you can find me on... Um, Twitch, uh, Mixer, and Facebook, all at some jackal, J-A-C-K-A-L. Um, did you say they all laugh at that? Like I'm an <laughs> asshole, and I know I am. I'm a grown man. Um, yeah, so definitely check that out. Uh, you know, send in questions. Uh, 
you know, do all that kind of stuff. We'll play some, some video games and talk about politics, and I'll probably have a beer or two because I don't want to feel the cold anymore. <laughs> My son says this is a brilliant idea, Nick. He He's says, a smart, yeah, he smart he says, guy. This is where you got to go. I know, right? <laughs> I got my finger on the pulse of what the children are doing. Politics and video games. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, we talked last week that we wanted you guys to send in some questions for us to answer on the podcast, so we have a bunch of those, and we're they going did. to go through them. Yes. So you want to just start? Because sure. I just apparently can't talk about it. All right. Me. So our first question comes from Colin Hobbs, who writes, Hey there, Barstool Politics crew. I'm in Phil's American foreign policy class, and Phil is having us write a paper on fo- a foreign policy decision made by the U.S. in the last 75 years. Ooh, Phil. Yes. If Phil, I know, papers are the worst. Yeah. <laughs> if Phil were to make you write such a paper, what subject would you choose and why? Can I say this? This Phil professor sounds... It doesn't sound nice. Yeah, it sounds like kind of an asshole, yeah. to be honest. <laughs> I feel bad for Colin. <laughs> Nick, if you were going to write, so if you had to pick a, a topic, what would you want to be writing on? U.S. foreign policy over the last 75 years. I was thinking about this. There's so many good things to, to talk about. Um, realistically, it's something that we all, it's relatively recent. I would really like to look into the um, kind of uh, understanding and... Um, uh, process that led into uh, the U.S. involvement in Libya and North Africa um, going along with uh, the Arab Spring and how that's kind of affected the stability of the region. Um, I personally think it was a horrible, horrible decision uh, and we should have never done it. I realistically don't know the intricacies of it too well. Um, I just know that uh, most of that part of the world is still on fire from yeah. uh, from that day. So I would very much like to know more about that. That would be a good case study. I know, yeah. right? That's yeah. why I said it. See, I'm, I'm all Cold War, so it's got to be you got to go back. I would love. I mean, the Cuban Missile Crisis is always fun. So when I teach that course, we spend a week looking at that case study. But I think a fun one is the decision to drop the atomic bomb. Like that is, I mean, it's so complicated, so moral or immoral, moral. You know, I mean, the, the, there's so many elements to look at. The decision to move towards the Nuremberg trials, like those decisions, all of those are are just a. It would be fascinating for me to to, to spend a couple more weeks just thinking about them. Mm-hmm. Phil, would you uh, do you have any suggestions for your uh, for your students? Well, I, I'm the professor in the class, so I don't have to write the paper. <laughs> that's right. No, I don't know. Put something I mean, out I, there that's I think off I was the thinking wall. a little bit. I didn't think a lot about this, but I. Um, I, I'm always intrigued by the decisions that, so I, when I give this assignment, I always say that you have to remember that a decision not to do something is still a decision. And so if you're interested in, you know, looking at a, a foreign policy decision, I'm always intrigued by those sorts of things. And, you know, there, that could be an infinite number of things, but I think about, you know, the decision not to do anything after the, after chemical weapons were used, um, in Syria and yeah. the Obama administration, or, you know, some of those sort of seeming opportunities or times where maybe it seemed like the U.S. could have or should have or probably would have acted and then they chose not to. Those are the decisions that I find um, interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Those are fun. All those right. were all good topics. I love this. All right. Uh, question number two. I our will second not be question. writing a paper on That's any right. of those things. <laughs> That's the best kind. 15 pages due next week, Nick. <laughs> oh. <laughs> See you in hell, Barker. <laughs> so our second question is from Matt Gross who says he, uh, he sees connections across the last three one-term presidents. They all face strong opponents from within their own party, a strong third-party candidate, and a strong candidate from an opposition party running against them. Assuming uh, Trump runs for re-election in 2020, who do you see as fitting this formula that could impede his path to re-election? That's another good question. Good good job, listeners. Mm -hmm. Uh, Phil, do you see any candidates standing out as being 
better position to stop, stop Trump or prevent him from winning re-election? Um, well, I mean, so I, I, I don't, I can't remember. Are we talking about Schultz later this we, podcast? No, we or, cut that one. Yeah, so, so, so talk so, about it now. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, so you've got three, um, I mean, that that's kind of fits in here. So you've got three different categories he's talking about, potential challengers uh, from um, within the Republican Party, potential, potential challengers within the Democrats, and then independence i so i am an institutions person and i just there's i don't think any third party candidate has a real chance um i i think there are lots of ways that a third party candidate can really sort of screw things up right who can get in there and and make a mess out of stuff um whether you know you see that with with nader and perot and all these other people um i don't think that somebody like schultz that comes along and declares as a um third party candidate or as a you know a non-affiliated candidate i I don't think they stand a a chance um he has a lot of money Mm -hmm. um i i also think is somebody like him it's hard to predict the impact that he would have i think people tend to think that he might pull away from democrats if the democratic party goes more leftist yeah they're pissed about it (laughs) but i think he would be just as likely to pull away if trump is the nominee you get people who are more centrist republicans who haven't liked what are more pro-business republicans who haven't liked the way trump has gone i think he could pull away from that as well so i i don't know that there's a you know a third party candidate somebody who's like famous you know could really screw things up you know throw an oprah in there or whatever and they would they would (laughs) i know um uh, I don't know. I mean, what, what do you guys think? Nick, is there somebody, I mean, either in the, the Democratic primary or somebody like Schultz that you think is particularly good just at defeating Trump? Uh, just at defeating him? I don't know. The The Democrats, um, at least from what I've seen, they are, they're very good at trying to uh, anoint people yeah. to be the, the designated person who's supposed to be in this particular position Usually going Hillary. forward. Usually <laughs> Hillary. Right. I'm not again. sure they can do that again, but they'll find someone really yeah. quick. They've already found half a dozen people. So, But I, I think that's the problem in itself, that as much as you think that they're coalesced around you know their their platform, realistically, the only thing that they're coalesced around is defeating Trump. And the candidates who are coming up against them are fairly disparate in their thinking in my opinion at least i'm i i don't know within the democratic party i'm not sure there's a really good contender yet um it's early and you're gonna have to fight a pit bull and i'm not really sure that any of them are up to the task yet um in in the uh with schultz that presents a, a different interesting situation he's you know, exceedingly wealthy. Um, I, I personally think he would take more away from from Democrats than Republicans, given that Trump is the incumbent. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know, man. I I have not seen a good candidate yet that makes a case that they can beat Trump yet. It, I, it's very very early in the process, but. I, I don't know, man. It's it's not looking good at the moment. What do you? What about what? What no. about Repub- within the Republican Party? What about a, a primary? And and the other thing is that you know a primary challenge doesn't have to beat Trump in order. Uh, you could mm-hmm. still have a, a good solid Republican primary challenge yeah. or an independent person that doesn't win but that knocks Trump. You know, either leaves him you know sort of battered coming out of the primary season or or whatever. Sure. Is there? Do you? Who do you think in the Republican Party? 
might have a chance. I mean, we've talked a lot about how Trump has sort of solidified his control over the party, but I do see a few people that might have a chance. A lot depends on what happens over the next couple months. If things get worse for Trump, I think there's there's space for some a Jeff Flake, and even though he said he doesn't want to do that, there's a couple people that could could emerge. But I think Trump's got to got to stumble quite a bit before that happens. Well, it's I mean it's political suicide for them to allow yeah. that to happen. There's no reason for them to to uh, again allow that to happen unless I, he's so toxic, right? Right. Yeah. But even then, like we've seen pretty toxic shit over the past couple years and they're still relatively rallying behind him. And it's realistically just because of they they hold the office. Why would you risk that? Um I I I'm sure there are several candidates within the Republican Party that would be near equals to Democratic challengers uh, from the other side. But why why would you give up your particular th- this particular position and, and, and point of strength just to, you know, upend the system, I guess that that doesn't seem to work in my so opinion. I- I think I, I I am fascinated by Kasich because I I think he's he's the the mm-hmm. person who might fit this this yeah. mold. He doesn't have anything to lose by doing it, and I think he might be. I, I'm not saying he would win, but I think he would be effective in that. Of all the Republicans, he doesn't seem baited by Trump. Like he doesn't he doesn't play the game with Trump. And and he the challenge that he I, I don't know that he would win, but the contrast between the sort of classic conservative Republican who's sort of, you know, cool-headed about stuff, and Trump might be enough to taint enough Republicans' views of Trump sure. that that could, you know, pull some people over that could hurt Trump in the general election. That, that's a good point. Uh, if it yeah. came to it. And I, and I th- so I, there's, there's, you know, I think of, you know, the Romneys and the Flakes and whatever. They talk about how they don't like Trump, but they also get dragged into the games yeah. he's playing, and, and Kasich hasn't seemed to do that. And I, so I, I think I could see him being the effective challenger, too. To Trump in a in a primary. I, I don't know if we answered that question, but that was fun. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, j- just to kind of close out, I, I the way that we have to talk about this, and the fact that we we think that there can't be an effective third party candidate is a problem, mm-hmm. given how divided things are and how it seems like increasingly fractured and polarized that that we've become. That we have to fit within these two molds, and I just. That bugs me to mm. no end. I just want it to stop. Kind of like winter. Yeah. I want both of those things to stop. That's, that's an un-American thing. That's right. How dare that you I don't challenge like or critique? Yes. Or, no, that you, that where there's a problem <laughs> with our system. <laughs> One thing, just to jump real quickly before we jump to the next question here. Uh, on the Democratic side, I think there's uh, you're going to have lots of discussion. And the Democratic primary is going to be fun to watch play out. Uh, whoever wins that, the big position is I'm not Trump. Mm-hmm. So for, as I'm thinking about this, a candidate who doesn't have a long history has some value, kind of like a blank slate. Obama had some of that. Like, we didn't really know who he was. No. And so we, no. so we could put things that we think he's going to be on there. No. So that this might create space for Beto, who has a really short history. No, I'm telling you, <laughs> uh, not a lot of negatives. I mean, because you think about a lot, of the, a lot of the senators, a lot of the governors who are going to run, there, there are negatives there. Beto, you know, he's inexperienced, but that's not a problem against Trump. And there's not going to be the negatives that you can dig up. Oh God! Uh, did you see? Did you see the thing that uh, 538 was doing this week, where no. they were going around and ranking the different for each of the Democratic candidates, sort of the different kind of bases or core constituencies yeah. that they might uh, appeal to, and who they thought was the the strongest candidate as a result of that. Uh, it was interesting. It's worth going and looking. They they had Harris, Kamala, Har- yeah. Kamala, yeah, Kamala. Um, 
she was ranked number one, but but Beto was number two. Um, she's tough for I mean, she's... kind of the ability to check all of these boxes. Yeah. I thought that, that was interesting. I mean, she's strong and powerful as a, as a deep. I mean, a good voice in terms of engaging the political system. But she's also somewhat centrist. I think yeah. the people want to say that she's really too far to the left, and she's been careful. Um, yeah. yeah. All right, we should move on because we got another good question here. Mm-hmm. Our next question comes from Jade Atwood. Uh, he presents us with a hypothetical. He says, "Let's assume." the Russia investigation ends with no serious consequences for Trump, and he's either beaten in 2020 or walks away after the 2024 election. If you were Putin, would you start to very publicly reward the Trump Trump and the Trump organization with large business deals after Trump is out of office to give the appearance that Trump was bought? Given Trump's character, and he says, let's be blunt, he would take the money. Uh, he says, I would see this as a relatively cost-efficient way to do lasting damage to the American political system. Would there be any mechanism stopping him, being Putin, from enacting this scenario? Jay, this is this mm. is terrifying, because I think this, <laughs> this would be a brilliant so move by yeah. Putin. I almost yes. feel, it's, it's so brilliant that I almost feel bad talking about it. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's the thing. We think so much about the short term with with Trump, Putin. We don't think, I mean, Putin is playing the long game. And while he may be interested in Trump's perspective a little bit, the more damage he can do to the American democracy, that's that's his real goal here. And that after he leaves power, Trump leaves power, there's there's a lot he could do. Would Putin, would he have more to gain by being, so this is, this isn't exactly subtle, this idea of Trump's out of office, you have a former president who, like, you just, like, make (laughs) it obvious, the the financial ties. It's not exactly subtle, but it's more subtle than if you're Putin and you have dirt on the, on the president, on the former president, just throwing it out there, leaking it. Um, What makes more sense for Putin to do? Because the, the subtle, uh, the subtle approach still allows you deniability and continuing to like, you know, mingle, you know, uh, stick your fingers in the American political process. But there's a lot of damage that could be done just by releasing documents that show how corrupt the previous president was after being in office for four or eight years. Yeah, I, I, I would agree. I think the short term that would be horrendous, but I think that also points the finger back at them and can serve as a, a rallying cry for you know, American political institutions and the American public that our system is not necessarily in our hands anymore. And there is an outside force that we can, you know, attempt to to combat. Um, if you continue to just kind of pick and gnaw at the institutions like they've done over the past, you know, five years or so and way longer than that without us really knowing, I think that's a much more effective and insidious and nefarious thing and that's a very russian thing to do so that seems like that would be their their modus so Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely and i think i think russia will absolutely be doing this other countries are going to be doing this as well russia is setting a a model for other adversaries to follow and some of it is going to be engaging in social media i'm convinced after Last week we talked about Covington Catholic and all those stories. There's going to be fake stories out there, fake videos. These things are just, they're going to be gold. And, uh, yeah, I think the there's going to be much more active engagement from the outside powers in our in our democratic system. Mm-hmm. It's kind of terrifying. Of course, the, the one thing that changes after after Trump is out of office, I, I, I totally agree it would make sense for Putin to do this and that Trump would totally take any money given to him. The difference is that the, the, uh, the, I, the scrutiny scrutiny is on him. And uh, he can go to prison. Yes, yeah, he's true. out of office. Mm. So. <laughs> All right, one final fun question, and that uh, our final question this week comes from Chris Summers, who asks, "What beer do you folks did you folks grow up on before craft beer?" 
I mean, I didn't grow up on anything. I didn't drink until I was, you know, easily 21. So, I mean, I was... You waited until 22 just to be safe. Obviously, yeah. yeah. Just, yeah. Oh. You're the old man. You go ahead. Let's hear, let's hear it. Phil, what was... Uh, you were down in Texas, so what's the... Yeah, yeah I, my, my family does not have sophisticated taste when it comes to, to, uh, <laughs> to a lot of things in life. So, yeah, I mean, I, you know, my parents, like, I grew up on, you know, Coors Light and Pearl yeah. and Schlitz and stuff like that, you know. Uh, I would go to my grandparents' house, and they would serve wine, but it would be like Manischewitz. And so, yeah, I grew up on, on you know, just the basic stuff. That was the, that was the reality. I mean, like, mm-hmm. it went, I, so growing up in Wisconsin, it was Miller Light. That was your beer. And I will say there was, uh, so Lining Kugels is up there, and there was a beer, Liney's Red, which I loved. Mm. It was a good beer, you know, before the explosion of craft beers. And then Liney's took it away. You know, they took Liney's Red away. Which, yeah, now they have a, like a fancy red pale ale or something, but I just want the original Liney's Red back. That was, that was a good beer. Back. Yes. Um, yeah, like, uh, I, I don't know. It, you know. It's, you're young and dumb, and it's... You know, Miller Lite and Bud Light and Milwaukee's Best oh, the and um, The Beast. And what was the other one? Natty Light. Yeah. Nat- oh, God. Just thinking about it makes me <laughs> it makes me cold. <laughs> um, I, I remember distinctly it, it was sometime during college and, and my roommate, uh, we went to the, the liquor store and he's, oh, you got to try this beer. It's something called an India Pale Ale. And it was like, it was, I think it was a stone. I, oh, God, this tastes like shit. I don't want anything to do with this. <laughs> it's too much. Too it's much. just too much. Just give me my Miller Lite. Oh, God. Too it's not drinkable. No. I, we, Bill, and I, Bill and I were in, we were in Colorado 20 yeah. years ago for grad school. And that was when you know, the, the sort of craft brew scene was exploding there. And, you know, right down the road from... From New Belgium and all of that stuff, and I, yeah, I remember getting into that, trying that stuff, Fat Tire for the oh, first yes. time, and everything yes. I had had before had been Coors Light, and so I was right. like, "This is different." <laughs> it's like I don't know what I think about this. It's gonna have a fancy day. Do you have Corona by chance? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I need a lime though. Well, this was fun. Yeah. All right. If listeners enjoy questions, keep sending them in, uh, and, and let us know. Tweet us if you if you like the question segment, because you know. Yeah, or send the questions in yeah. through Twitter. So yeah, Twitter, Facebook. Um, the email, e- the email barstoolpolitics at yahoo.com. And two of the questions came via email. I love it. Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right. Should we jump to our first big topic? Yeah. All right. Uh, so on Tuesday, longtime Trump political advisor Roger Stone was indicted by special counsel Robert Mueller on seven charges, including lying to Congress, obstruction of justice, and my favorite, witness tampering. At their core, Stone's alleged crimes involve covering up his involvement with the WikiLeaks release of stolen Democratic National Committee emails. Maybe the most bizarre part of the indictment was learning that Roger Stone made a Godfather reference to his associate and WikiLink intermediary, Randy Credico. After learning Credico had been subpoenaed to testify, Stone told him to do a, what is it, Nick? Frank Pantangeli. (laughs) In order to avoid uh, revealing that Stone had perjured himself. Pretty much telling him to kill himself. Yes. (laughs) When Credico didn't comply, Stone threatened him and even threatened to steal his service dog, who is named, wait for it, Bianca. <laughs> Aww, poor puppy. So the indictment says Stone uh, said to Credico, you are a rat, a stool. A stoolie, I am so ready. Let's get it on. Prepare to die. He's, <laughs> he sounds great. nice. Uh, Phil, this clown show in some ways perfectly captures the Trump presidency. Godfather references, threatening service dogs. What was your reaction to all of this, this insanity? 
Uh, I mean, so first of all, I had bought shares on predicted. We've talked about predicted (laughs) of Roger Stone being indicted in 2018, and I missed it by like three weeks, and it makes me mad. Oh, you sold? Oh, that's right. No, I didn't sell. Mm. Mueller, if he'd gotten his shit together and indicted him back in December, (laughs) I'd be a, I'd be like four dollars richer. I'm putting big money into these markets. That's right. uh, no, I mean this fits. So there's lot. This fits in, like you said, with with the broader uh, um, investigation, the Trump presidency. This wasn't all that surprising. People expected right. it. Uh, Stone expected it, right? He had been predicting that he would be indicted mm-hmm. for months. Um, it's just. <clears throat> This is just another example of they're really bad at this. Like, I saw somebody talking about how uh, Stone, like so many other people in the Trump administration, seems to view this as like a reality show, right? Like he seems to be in this for the press, like coming out on the steps and doing his Nixon victory stuff. And uh, he, it's it makes for good TV, but it makes for a terrible criminal defense. Like, he's gonna, he guy, could go, he's going to go to jail for this uh, for a long time. Yes, and, and, and again, not to interrupt, but I mean, like what he's being charged with. They've got him. I mean, the witness tampering, it's not just he said, she said kind of stuff. It is they have messages that he sent, you know, and and messages. He's like, hey, let's go to WhatsApp. you know, And then they've got the Uh. records of that. Well, that's the other thing that people have talked about. Like, They took notes of their criminal conspiracy, right? They (laughs) sat around doing conspiring to commit federal crimes and they essentially kept the minutes and wrote it. it, it it's just it's, it's bad dumb. criminals. No, right? yeah, as much as he was referencing the Godfather, he didn't do a good job of really concealing things like, you know, actual mobsters would. Yes. Oy. Yeah, they're they're be- I, the real mobsters are better at this than the Trump <laughs> mobsters. The fact that like what what you said about how this was this is like nailed down. They have this. Um, I, I, I feel like part of the reason why this came so late, I, I, my suspicion, is that there's no way that Stone's going to cooperate, right? This isn't this isn't a Cohen, uh, this isn't a Flynn thing where you put a little pressure, you have a little evidence, get them to flip and, and cooperate. Stone's not going to cooperate. And so you, I feel like Mueller was making sure that he had every single detail nailed down before he... Um, dropped the hammer on 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 stone and so and I think this is also he's 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 setting a, a precedent or an example right the particularly the witness tampering stuff right that's got to be something that he's looking at with if you're investigating Trump and you're looking into obstruction of justice witness tampering is something that he has done openly on Twitter right yes. and so um, there's this has got to be in some ways uh, you know a warning shot to the to to Trump and to others that that we're watching and this is a crime and we'll we're, we're paying attention. Mm-hmm. And the lying, the extent of lying. So Roger Stone, I think you're right, Phil. Uh, he lied throughout the process. When he was interviewed, uh, all of his testimony, he's doing you know witness tampering. And Mueller has documentation of all of it. There was The indictment is actually, this is really good reading. They talked about that Stone had lied or said he had never had contacted uh, with, with, with Randy Credico and others. And the day that he testified, like he had like 30 text messages with them. Hey. And they have records of all of it. I mean, mm-hmm. it's like so ironclad here. I don't know how he makes a reasonable defense other than getting a potential pardon or trying to turn this into a political circus, but he's they got him. I think that's what his plan is. I mean, he's already pleaded not guilty. Mm-hmm. So I, I really he's realistically, he is a a wily oh, yeah. snake like political operative. Trickster. For, trickster. trickster they keep yeah. Calling him a trickster. For decades. So he's I I I firmly believe that he believes that he'll find a way out of this and whether that I, I would assume it would be turning this into a lengthy process until he can get pardoned. 
Um, or he's just delusional and has no idea that they have this. Both could be true. Yeah, yes. it's I, I, it's it's just crazy. Uh, like I, what, why the dog? That's just really going to upset people. Hey, so a little <laughs> bit of background here. So Randy Credico, his he brought his service dog to grand his grand jury testimony. He was so nervous about it, and Stone's talking about taking. Bianca, wait. Well, that's so very sensitive. It's the that's, only dog that's gotta been find to, the point. Only dog that's been to the grand jury testimony, and Stone's like, "I'm taking your dog, man." <laughs> oh, you have a you have a tattoo of Nixon on your back too, right, Bill? Yeah, uh, no, Jimmy Carter, Jimmy Carter. Mm. <laughs> that's right. It's not aging well. So, no. Yeah, but we should talk a little bit about the the uh, what the, what this means for the larger yes. investigation because Stone is is you know he's crazy and he's going to prison but the part of that has been nailed down that is in all these documents is that if if you read the indictment is that stone was emailing with someone in the trump administration and with wikileaks to i mean the thing that this is the it's not the smoking gun as far as trump goes necessarily but it is a smoking gun that there was coordinate yeah not that we didn't already know this but that there was coordination between the trump campaign or people within the trump campaign and WikiLeaks and Russia regarding the the actual leaking of these hacked emails. Well, and, mm-hmm. and the, that's significant. Absolutely, that's you know, the indictment said that uh, a senior campaign official was directed to reach out to Stone to see whether WikiLeaks was WikiLeaks had more information that they were going to release. So, so it, I mean, that's that's a big deal. If if who's telling a senior campaign official? Other than Trump, right? I mean, the all the indictment. These every single word is thought about and, and parsed over. There's a pretty good likelihood that is either Trump or Don Jr. Somebody in that upper circle is telling another senior campaign official to reach out, and that's that's bad news if it's Don Jr., Trump, uh, whoever it is. Well, I mean, the other story that's coming out. Um uh, after this is that Mueller and his team, they're signaling that the investigation is nearing its end, um, which well, is... Mueller isn't so much as the acting attorney general said that. Whitt- what's his name? Whitaker. Whitaker, yeah. Yeah, Whitaker. he came out. As he sweated profusely. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's what that so he was. he was up yeah. there. That was great, Phil. He's up there. He's dripping sweat. And he's like, I think they're going to wrap it up soon. <laughs> <laughs> My bad. But, but I didn't do my research on that one. To that point, and this gets a little into the weeds, but the grand jury uh, for like Stone's indictment mm-hmm. is still hearing evidence. And usually when a grand and I wish we had time, but if, usually when a grand jury, like when somebody's charged, like, okay, that's it. But they're still having this grand jury suggesting that for some element of connection with WikiLeaks, there's something else they're looking at. Now, it could be they're going to charge Stone with more. Or, you know, somebody else who had lots of connections with WikiLeaks is Don Jr. And we, and we don't know anything, but Stone was connected to WikiLeaks. Don Jr. is connected to WikiLeaks. I, I, I wonder whether this next, the next shoot a drop isn't in the inner, inner circle of Don Jr. Hmm. And that's... Which Trump will lose his mind. Right. So I wonder. I saw that, that yeah, that comment that he's getting close to wrapping things up. And I, I wonder. I don't know. If, if that's the case... We're getting some big, big news soon. Don Jr. might want to do a Frank Pantangelo. That's right. (laughs) With all the stuff, like when you add up, when you look at the pile of stuff with Roger Stone and Cohen and Flynn and all these other people and all the, you know, the evidence and the stories that have come out, it, it, it feels almost inevitable that Don Jr. and Kushner, I, I don't know that it's inevitable at this point that Trump himself 
faces right. chart. I think it's I mean, I think in some ways in the report, they're going to have a tie between Trump and some of this stuff. But it does seem almost inevitable that Don Jr. and Kushner face some sort of legal consequences out of this. It's hard for me to imagine a, a scenario in which they don't. I agree. The way that he's setting this up, unless Mueller, like you said, Nick, he closes up a week from now and says, that's it. But if it continues for a little while longer, they're building things for for somebody else. Or at least it feels the momentum is moving that way. And you want they're almost out of people. I mean, they've got they've gotten a whole <clears throat> host of high level officials. Like Ninety indictment indictments yes. at this point. Uh, yeah. yeah. That that Whitaker scene when he was sweating <laughs> that was one of my favorites so far. I just kept seeing the the Twitter thing with people watching him on TV yes. and dabbing. Yes, <laughs> I saw somebody refer to it as sweating butter. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, yeah, that was a, that was a good one. I mean, it was really it was bizarre, and I think you're right, Phil. Stone is not. I mean, he in some ways Stone has been living for this moment. For him to come out and do the Nixon. You know the peace symbol. I mean that. You know I'm I, I'm I'm innocent. That was that's what he's been living for to reenact what his idol Richard Nixon did. And if that means him, he goes down and, and spends a few years in jail. He's he's gonna love every. Well, moment I mean Nixon was obviously innocent too. So I you know I don't really blame him. Full that, stop. Period. That would be another good case study. <laughs> <laughs> well, we should talk Revise. some beers. Yes. Phil, let's what, talk about beer. Please. What do you got in your solo cup this week? Uh, so I'm drinking um, another beer by Bissell Brothers. I had one of theirs a couple of weeks ago. Um, this is called The Substance. Uh, so Bissell Brothers are out of out of Maine. Um, and I, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, this is another one of the beers that's not really. I don't think it's distributed. I think you have to go to their brewery to get it. Um, and it is. I it, I don't. It doesn't describe itself as an IPA, but it has that flavor. It's a pretty pungent smell, um, but it it's really good. This is a this is a tasty beer i mean it's got like a that bitterness to it but it's yeah. not like a it's not a bad bitterness it's hoppy it, this is it's just it's a good one very good it's, yeah now, yeah i this, really like it is this are they linked to the bissell the vacuum cleaner group is it I, kind of the I same thing so. i think they use the vacuum cleaner like you know the <laughs> stuff that it sucks up they use that in the fermenting process well they got Lovely. access to all those tubes it's, it makes yeah. sense right <laughs> nick what are uh, we drinking we are having a a lagunitas night pills which is a dark style pilsner. Um, it's a uh, it's a thing. It's a special release. It's right? a special release. Dark. Yeah. What's that? I didn't know the pilsners could be dark. No, neither did I. This one was. It was. It was. It was. Yeah. Is it one that just went bad, and so they slapped a dark on the label? <laughs> I assume. Them? I mean, you got a market fill. You got all this, all this stock. Might as well do something with it. Um, it was. It, it was odd, yeah. in my opinion. It was. Uh, yeah, we've had so many good, kind of darker, heavier uh, beers as of late, and this was, it was, it was really dark, but it felt light, and it was really bitter, yeah. really, really bitter. Um, yeah, it just, it uh, there were too many conflicting things going on. In I my felt opinion. the same. It, I mean, it wasn't terrible, but it's not a, it's not a beer that I would want to go back to. And so I, I finished that, and I moved on to a Lagunitas, a little something, something <laughs> ale, and that it's delightful, mm-hmm. right? I mean, so and sometimes the contrast—you have one beer and another, and you say, "Oh my goodness, this second one tastes so much better." You start with the bad ones, and then you go to the good ones. And so I think the <laughs> the better Lagunitas beer is a little something, something ale. So mm-hmm. yeah, I, I had a I had a lot of dates in my younger younger days where they were described that way. A lot of stuff going on, really conflicting. <laughs> Wasn't terrible, but I'm not going back for more. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, That's Phil Barker. Right? <laughs> champagne, champagne cocktails. Yes. Do some Frank Pantangelo. Uh, 
Um, you want to do a little uh, untap? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I'm just standing. I couldn't like, even there's remember the word. No. Yeah. Uh, if you guys want to check out the beers that we uh, try on the podcast, uh, download Untapped on iOS or Android. Um, we're Barstool Politics on there, so you can look at all the beers that we try and the uh, the, uh, the reviews of, of everything. Um, so do that. It's yeah, lots of good. fun. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Speed round time. Yes. All right. So the government shutdown is over. Time to think about winners and losers. Mm-hmm. So last Friday, President Trump agreed to reopen the federal government for three weeks, three long weeks, while negotiations continue over border security. Well, this was good news for the country, it hasn't played well for Trump. Trump's base was not pleased and he and was not shy about criticizing him for losing to Nancy Pelosi. And Coulter tweeted, quote, good news for George Herbert Walker Bush. As of today, he is no longer the biggest wimp ever to serve as president of the United States. Go, girl. Who uses the why, word wimp anymore? I, I thought we got rid of that one. Hey, and why you know is he wimpy? What, what did he do to piss Ann Coulter off? Why is he wimpy? Because he the wall. He gave up on the wall. Yeah. Yeah. He gave. George H.W. Bush gave up oh, on the no, wall. Oh, no, no. George, I don't, I don't know. Uh, that's a good question. I don't know. I just yeah. didn't know. Anyway. That's all. I'd like that. That's a good topic. All right. We got to stay focused here, <laughs> Why though. was George Bush a wimp? So Trump doesn't like to lose, and he really doesn't like to be shown up by a woman. Phil, what should we take away from this government <laughs> shutdown? It's Christ. true. It's, he doesn't like Nancy. Uh, have our elected officials finally <laughs> learned their lesson? Uh, I, don't, I don't know. No, the answer is <laughs> no. That's a good question. <laughs> I, I don't think they've learned some grand lesson, although there there is discussion in Congress about passing bills that prevent this sort of thing from happening again. I don't know yeah. if that will ever happen or not. Um, no, I mean, it feels it seems likely that we're going to have another shutdown in like two weeks, right? <laughs> yes. Um, because Trump is not backing down from this. Democrats aren't going to back down from this. Um, <clears throat> maybe I'll be pleasantly surprised. But I, I mean, it seems it just feels like it feels inevitable to me that that's that's where we're going. Um, I this I mean, this this was a big win for Nancy Pelosi. I mean, Nancy Pelosi, who had been who faced challenges to her speakership, who is, you know, the favorite uh um, target of the of the of the conservative uh, movement, um, she handled this really she played damn this well. Really well, uh, yeah. She she did a good job. I mean, ultimately, it comes around to Trump was stupid to ever go down this alley, yeah. right? To go down this road after he had just lost an election to take a stand on an issue that isn't that popular with his own party, and that's not popular nationwide. It's a it was just a weird a weird fight to to decide to make this stand on i mean he, from the time he went down this road he was destined to lose but i i don't know that he has learned anything from that i don't i i don't know it's a, it's a good question has trump learned nick are we being serious or are we are we making jokes i don't know i don't know what we're doing um it's uh... Yeah, realistically, on the surface, yeah, the Democrats obviously won this particular battle. If I was Trump in this situation, yeah, you would hope that he would learn something. I have no doubt that he has not learned anything about this. But in a functioning administration, this would be crisis mode where you would start going, okay, let's flip this around. We'll focus on border security instead of, you know, specifically focusing on the wall we can do another government shutdown and, and, you know, focus on that specifically and then put the narrative out there, which is already kind of out there on the fringes that the government was shut down this long. I wanted $5 billion to do part of a wall and border security. And the economy lost 
roughly $12 billion because you wouldn't allow me to do that. This was not an all-encompassing thing. It wasn't some weird xenophobic thing. It was to get the ball rolling, and you didn't want to do that. But we're not going to see that. No. He's, he's going to be mad about it, yes. and then he's going to shut the government down again. If he was better at this, he could make that argument, and that might get some traction. But yeah. he won't do that. No. Right? I mean, he's, he's just not talented enough of a politician. Well, there's nobody else in the administration that can do it either, which is really the problem. I don't care if he can't do it, but nobody else in the administration seems to be able to do that either. There's no crisis management whatsoever. You roll Stephen Miller out, and he starts talking about he doesn't want another refugee ever setting foot in the country, right? I mean, it's like, they're so bad. He's so bad. In in some ways, I think the the bigger question is whether or not other people in the Republican Party have learned the lesson, because I could see Trump deciding he's going to do this again. But my question is whether Republicans in Congress, Mitch McConnell yeah. and others, are willing to let him do this. So they let him do it. Like, you know, they, they had passed this, res- this spending resolution that, that Trump wasn't on board with. And, you know, they ca- McConnell could have stopped this. He let Trump do it. The Republicans are unwilling to or, or were willing to let Trump go down this road to some extent because they didn't want to be seen as whatever standing up to or in contrast to the president i wonder though if trump decides to do this again if the republicans in congress would act and that that's the i I don't have a whole lot of hope for that but i could see i mean there were that that was what brought it to an end i think was the the stuff at LaGuardia and other places but it was you know congress and others who were like this has got to we've we've got to bring this we've got to stop this i I will be shocked if he a week or two from now he just doesn't declare a national emergency that's his out uh republicans are going to be encouraging him to do that because as well me uh, that's a good question whether they will or not but it gets him out of this corner that he's painted himself out of uh, into he can he can say, I've built a little bit of the wall. Now, there's long-term precedent concerns for doing that, declaring a national emergency. But he doesn't care about that. He doesn't care about a Democratic president, you know, four years from now doing gun control or something. He worries about getting his wall and saying he got that campaign pledge and Coulter will love him again. And then he's happy. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, I well, think it, this is well, this is how it's going to play out. That's a, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if that's how it played out. But that's a battle he's going to lose, too, in the long run. Mm. He's going to lose. In the, and that's where... Again, if he were a more strategic thinker, he might be able to somehow nuance. Like I could see a George Bush or a Ronald Reagan coming up with a emergency declaration that he could get through. But the way Trump has been handling this is to talk about how the Democrats have three weeks to figure this out, or I'm going to declare an emergency. Like you right. undermine your argument for the fact that there is an emergency with the way that he's approached it. So I mean, it, he's shot himself in the in in the foot in the in the discussion in the lead up to how he does this. He's just not, that's where he doesn't have the long-term sort of strategic political Mm -hmm. thought process that he needs to in order to accomplish some of these things. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yep. Is there a predicted market for them shutting down the government again? Oh, I'm sure there is. That's a good question. We've got to look at that. Yeah, that'd be a good one. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to Google it. Do it. While you do that, we're going to talk about the U.S.-Taliban deal. So the United States and the Taliban have agreed, agreed in principle on the framework of a deal in which the insurgents would guarantee Afghan territory is never used by terrorism or terrorists. <laughs> Hold on, Nick. Go on. And the U.S. would agree to pull out troops of out all, agree to pull troops out of the country. As part of that agreement, the Taliban would also agree to a ceasefire and keep and talks directly with the Afghan government. Boy, they're they're agreeing to a lot of stuff they don't like. Uh, which the insurgents have previously opposed in the past, keeping the Af- keeping Afghanistan from reverting to a terrorist haven has long been a primary demand of American officials. 
After nearly two decades, everyone seems to agree that negotiating with the Taliban is the only solution to the conflict. Yet there are many, deep, many deeply concerned with what the U.S. departure for the, would mean for the country moving forward. Phil, you summer in Afghanistan. Uh, what's your assessment of the, of the development, and what are we to make of this balancing human rights versus ending the conflict? I mean, this is a really tough, tough issue. You have a poppy farm out there, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Medis- it's medicinal. <laughs> medicinal poppies. Medicinal heroin. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, uh, yeah, I mean, I, the... the the first thing is that, I mean, this is good, I think, in general, right? Like, yeah, the, yeah there's human rights concerns. The Taliban, they're not good people. But we, we've been working on some sort of peace negotiation, peace treaty for nine years. This yeah. is a war that's been going on for 18 years. This is, it's it's time to sort of realize that the, the, uh, the aims that we have, the goals that we hope to achieve in Afghanistan, unless we're willing to do a post-World War II German yeah. or Japanese-style um, investment and focus on Afghanistan is not going to happen. And so recognize the limits of that. And, and um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm encouraged at least that this is moving forward, even if there are still some pretty big hoops that, that have to be jumped through. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, that's that's good, right? Maybe. Why, so why, what's, tell me why I should be not happy about that. No, I think, I think, that's, I think <clears> it's the <throat> default position. I think this is the only only solution is to, is to negotiate with the Taliban. The United States isn't going to fix any of these problems. If we stay another 10 years, we're going to be in the same spot we are now. But I, just the I, the reality is uh, to Nick, I think some of your sarcasm initially, like the, the Taliban, they're not good. They're, they're going to lie. They're going to try to retake territory. I don't know what the hell you're talking about. <laughs> so they are, you know, there are a lot of women in, in Afghanistan who are deeply concerned about what's going to happen. But I think that's just the reality of where realism is, is that this is what this is what is going to happen. It's probably the best thing for the whole conflict, but it's, it's not always going to be pretty in the short term. Here's why it's the only thing that can happen yeah. and why it's not the best thing. You could replace all of this stuff with North Vietnam and South Vietnam, and it's going to be the exact same situation. They're going to agree to some sort of armistice. The Taliban is going to retake the country, and we're going to be back where we were almost 20 years ago at this point. It's going to be... It's, it's it totally possible. It will be terrible. Yeah. yeah. Realistically, I, I, but the sad part is, we're at a point where we don't care anymore. Yeah. Like the 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 American public certainly doesn't care, uh, and why why should we at this point? I, there's there's no reason for us to be there. It's never going to stabilize. No matter how much money we dump into it, it's never going to be Germany or Japan or any post World War II society that we attempted to rebuild. It's just not ever going to happen. So take your take your ball and leave at this point and and just just be done with it and know that there will probably be a point where we'll have to deal with some sort of problem again but there's just no reason for us to be there anymore there, there's just not there's no strategic reason no, for us to I be think there that's right and, and you have to let the afghani self-determine i'm i'm really worried about what that's going to look like and and i think you're in the short term it's it's not going to be pretty i the Taliban, they're playing a long game. And, yeah, um, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit worried, but I think I think everybody has come to this realization that this is what you have to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we're not going to solve Afghanistan. You know, it's, historians knew this. 
I mean, I still remember after 9-11 talking with the historian up at University of Wisconsin-Madison who said the United States should not invade Afghanistan. This is going to be terrible. It's never going to work. And I thought, no way. Are you kidding me? No, America. We Right. But, you know, the history has shown how difficult it is to deal and to, to, to I don't know, try to, try to control Afghanistan. It, I mean, it's hard in situations like this where you have a concrete example of a, a regime that is terrible on human rights, right? Should we should we turn power over to a regime that's terrible on human rights? And, and I want to say, you know, absolutely not. Right? We have a we have a duty to 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 not do this. But there are regimes all over the world that are terrible on Correct. human rights. Yeah. And, and the idea that we would have to intervene in every one of those seems, uh, you know, that that's insane. We can't do that. But there's another that's that leads you down this other slippery slope in the other direction, which is that should we never do anything about bad human rights right. issues around the world because there's so many that we can't and, and yeah, I don't I don't I don't know the answer. This is one of those things where I'm glad I'm not the person who has to make the decision. Yes. And it's telling how the uh, the U.S. is talking about this. They are they're emphasizing the long-term peace and stability of the country, but nobody is on the U.S. side is bringing up human rights. Nobody's talking about women's rights, and I, I get why they're doing that because it's not a good answer. The answer is well, ultimately the Taliban are going to do what they're going to do, and it's going to be a power struggle, um, and that's just just where it is. Um, but it's not a good conversation to have. No, yeah. Can we, I, like realistically, I I. I... <sighs> I was in high school when all this shit started, and uh, like the fact that we're still talking about it just blows my mind. Yeah. And I think most people just want to be done with it and yeah. never have to talk about it again. If, if there was any prospect that the U.S. could dramatically improve Afghanistan, it's a different conversation. But after 17, 18 years, we're not going to. We're it's not... never been improved. Yeah. You can't. You cannot tame that country or, or that region of the world. It's not physically possible. And, and it doesn't help that other countries continue to invade and destabilize Correct. the country, right? right? It's, not, it's not particularly helpful to the progress of Afghanistan's development. No, it's yeah. it's a crossroad nation that has way too many interests involved there, and there's just, there's no, there's there's no winning scenario of this. Uh, just let it, let it be. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's good. All right, next topic. Uh, the, the, the title of the next topic is Passive and Naive. Two words often used to describe Phil Barker. <laughs> when he goes worse. to the opium farm. Yeah. Yes. People have called me a lot worse. <laughs> so on Tuesday, Trump's own intelligence chiefs contradicted the president by offering a radically different assessment of the international threats facing the United States. They warned about fresh Russian efforts to interfere in American elections, predicted that North Korea would never agree to give up its nuclear weapons, downplayed the threat uh, posed by Iran, and made clear that the Islamic State is still plotting attacks around the world. They made no mention of Mr. Trump's top security priority of building a wall along the southwestern border. Trump lashed out, I and mean, it was a true lash out this morning on Twitter, at these officials, calling them extremely passive and naive. Trump was most pointed in his pushback on the assessment of Iran, tweeting, perhaps intelligence intelligence officials should go back to school. The irony there, Nick, is so deep. I mean, it doesn't hurt to brush up every now and then. <laughs> so, it's, it's, you know. Oh, Phil, it sounds like there's trouble in paradise. <laughs> <laughs> Passive and naive are words that have been used to describe the, the CIA for decades. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I, this was fascinating to me to, to see this happen. I mean, it was encouraging in some ways to see these officials within the Trump administration. We talked about Gina Haspel when she was yeah. nominated and concerns about her. Um, I, you know, I still have concerns about her, but it's it's encouraging to see her. And, you know, Dan Coats has been the, the DNI has been uh, has long sort of been not critical, but he stood firm in, in, in other situations. Um, it's encouraging to see the, the professionals, the people within the bureaucracy basically doing their job. That, that this is this is how they see it. This is how they they see the world. This is their assessment of our threats. Um, and it is an assessment that is separate from political interests of the administration. So that that's encouraging um, to me. I mean, it is, you know, again, down the list of Trump's rhetoric. Iran is not working for nuclear weapons. North Korea is working towards nuclear weapons. ISIS is still a threat. Um, I think it's important that these things are said. I think it's a little terrifying that it's not that it, the thing that's terrifying is to me is it's it's concerning that Trump is upset that they're contradicting him. But there have been a number. It's by no means is this the universal response. But I have seen a number of people who have responded from the right who have sort of supported his argument that they work for Trump and they need to be. Uh, you know, in line with his his view on things, and that part whatever the evidence right. might be, right? Yeah, <laughs> right. That their job is to essentially, you know, create if if the Trump if if the Trump administration has certain priorities in in national security, that they should create or that their intelligence assessment should be in line with that. That's what got us into the Iraq War, right? I mean, this is not this is not a good thing. Intelligence should be as apolitical as it can be, mm -hmm. right? This is just the this is how we see the world. It is our job to assess threats. Um, and it, whether that's convenient or good for the administration in, in, in power is um, irrelevant, right? This is this is how it is. Mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, so yeah, that that's worrisome to me. Yeah. Nick, no, I I agree. It's I, I, as when you talk about the CIA and and the the U.S. intelligence network as a whole, it's the fact that they would that a president would think that they should bend to the will of a particular administration just I, again blows my mind and i feel like i've said that way too many times today <laughs> but um you know this is as much as you say it's it's they live in a world of, of kind of a, a shade of gray this is a very black and white thing in my situation or in my in my opinion um like phil said it's a very uh, um dispassionate apolitical pragmatic kind of worldview that you should have as opposed to something that switches every you know four to eight years um and and, and realistically i think the the intelligence community does a, a fairly good job of that um i think there are some instances uh where they they have crossed that line and 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 we've seen evidence of that over the past few years but to constantly question them or to be so bipolar about them to you know praise them without end uh one second and then just to lambast them the next like why would you do that I, it just it it makes no it, there's just no political sense to it i tend to agree with them in terms of iran but when you're talking about pretty much everything else on that list it just it makes no sense. Yeah. No sense whatsoever. It, he seems to shift when an institution agrees with him. He's supportive. When they're critical, he, he undermines their legitimacy. And mm -hmm. whether that's the FBI, you know, initially he had attacked the intelligence community and then he'd gone away from them. And now when they come back, and I think to Phil's point, they did the right thing. They said, here is how we view these 
crises around the world. And I'm sorry, Mr. President, but we don't see the southern border as a grave threat to the United States. That's important. Uh, I think you're also seeing this is evidence of a growing rift within the Republican Party because a number of these individuals, Dan Coats was a Republican senator, uh, the Republican Party is starting to say we have a different view of foreign policy than Trump. And that's always been there, but they're being more bold about it. And I'm, I'm happy to see that, to say, you know, we want to support our president, but if he's wrong, we are not always going to cave. And that, that ha- hasn't always that hasn't always been the case for Republicans. And so maybe maybe the loss, you know, the defeat over the the budget was a was a beginning of getting some backbone here, but I'm I'm optimistic about moving forward. So mm-hmm. The other part of this is that it's easy to think of policy in general, right? Whether we're talking about you know tax cuts or immigration policy, whatever, uh, but foreign policy as well. It's easy to think of policy in this sort of abstract um, sense. But these are very, especially when it comes to national security, these are very real risks, very real concerns out in the world. And the other part that that is emphasized by this is that the intelligence community is saying, look, there are real things, real concerns out there, ISIS, uh, North Korea. And um, Trump may not want to listen to that, which is what is clear here. But those that we're talking for potentially eight years of, of, of time in which the, you know, these threats are out there and the U.S. is not doing anything about it because trump is concerned about a border wall or because he likes kim jong-un or whatever so uh you know these are this is again this is the this is a real thing right there have been times where we've ignored intelligence uh, in the past or or threats that arose and you end up you know september 11th is an example in which there were these threats and we didn't necessarily respond um appropriately i'm not saying that we should be going to war or anything like that but i would like to think that the person in charge is you know listening and paying attention and not just lashing out because the it doesn't line up with the rhetoric that they like yeah mm-hmm. it shows the value of a, a good bureaucracy that can give you information can can make credible assessments of the world that you face yeah. but that bureaucracy is still dependent on an executive that that acts to some extent Absolutely. bureaucracies can act without yeah. the executive in a lot of ways but but in the end you know it's yeah. important and it was interesting. I mean, all of them, Christopher Ray, the head of the FBI, Gina Haspel, Dan Coats, all of the heavy hitters were there. And they were very careful about not directly attacking Trump. A lot of them said, well, we'll get more into those details in the, you know, in the classified session. But, the, you know, they they were there and they were arguing against what Trump is saying publicly. So, mm-hmm. yeah. All right. Final topic. Uh, let's call this final topic legal pad gate. Okay. All right. So, so on Monday, National Security Advisor John Bolton, again, my favorite mustache man, uh, was holding a yellow legal pad inscribed with the words, 5,000 troops to Colombia. Or no, no, Venezuela, Venezuela, not Colombia, Venezuela. No, Colombia. No, Colombia. Colombia? Mm-hmm. Okay. Next door to Venezuela. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, they're neighbors. So that makes sense. Okay, sorry. I read that. I was like, oh, my goodness, did I miss, you know. All right. When asked about Bolton's scribbled note, a White House spokesman said, all options are on the table. So, and just yesterday, the Trump administration announced it had handed control of Venezuela's bank accounts and property in the United States to the opposition leader, uh, Juan Guaido, hoping to give him the tools to start running the country. It was one of Washington's most overt attempts uh, in decades to carry out regime change in Latin America. In recent days, the Trump administration has recognized Guaido as Venezuela's legitimate president and imposed sanctions to cut off Maduro's access to a major source of the nation's cash, oil sales in the United States. The situation in Venezuela is developing fast. 
The U.S. is leading an effort to remove Maduro, but it has the backing of much of the international community. Uh, reactions, Phil. This is, you know, just since we talked about this last week, there's been a lot of developments, and it feels like the, the entire international community is moving forward here. This, I mean, this is an example. So going back to the Afghanistan thing where I was talking about how I can talk myself in either direction, this is an example of that. And I, I'm really torn on it because Maduro is is awful, right? Yeah. He's 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 a, he's a terrible leader. He's destroying the economy, human rights issues. There's all sorts of stuff, right? But we also have so many examples of going in and destabilizing a country. We've talked about Libya. We've talked about Afghanistan. We've talked about other places where you go in, where the U.S. sort of goes in to uh, bring about regime change, and the result is actually, you know, it, I don't know if you can say worse, but it's it's not it's Libya's not this clean worse, cut. Yeah, yeah it's um, bad. Well, um, well, maybe yeah, I don't know. I mean, I if you had lived Gaddafi in Gaddafi, Gaffey, well. I don't know. yeah, it's all right. <laughs> so, Rabbit hole. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, so yeah, I don't. I'm I'm kind of torn on this, right? I like the idea of the U.S. taking, a, in some ways, a stand for human rights. I I don't like the impulse to uh, not just be supportive of of Guaido, but to actually kind of feel the need to nudge it along yeah. or to feel like this is that. Here's that some concern, cash. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and the the I don't know. It just seems that it, I feel like there's just some naivete about how easy it would be to, or how great it would be to get Maduro out and, and the other side in, and and these things. You know, democracy doesn't just change overnight. Like this is this is a, a, a difficult process. I don't I don't know. What do you What do you think, Nick? I, it's an interesting situation. Maduro, up until fairly recently, uh, had the support of a lot of the military still, um, which was very concerning if we're talking about regime change. What's different about this, um, from my perspective, it seems like the U.S. is... Uh, there was a, a heavy-handedness when it came to regime, uh, regime change and, and coups in Latin America um, prior to this point. And they seem to be using a lot of the the levers that were created um, post-globalization that is helping it to be slightly less overt uh, and to kind of, it's not a, a natural progression, but it's, you know, it's its adding some fertilizer to, to the crops there. The the initial movement, I think, was, was natural and was already there. If you can kind of help just, you know, just a little tiny bit of nudge. Just a little um, push. Just a little tiny bit. Um, I I don't know. It, like, we want to talk about human rights and all that stuff. Realistically, like you said, Phil, this it's it's an awful government, and it probably should be dismantled. Um, when it comes to Central and South America, that's a hard thing to do, especially when you know the the military tends to be involved with the person who's paying them the best. So if you can move the payment to a new party that, at least on the surface, seems like it would be better for the country as a whole. And I don't know. I don't necessarily see that as a as a negative. Um, the other part of this seems to kind of harken back to the Cold War and attempting to curtail the influence of of Russia and China. No, Putin's not happy. No. So this seems like a a, a, a you know a killing two birds with one stone. If you don't have to directly intervene in the country or have some sort of CIA sponsored coup. Um, and instead actually have a, a grassroots um, uh, uprising uh, to, to kind of go with and you just support it economically, that's a very, it's a very nuanced kind of thing that we haven't seen before. No, I, 
I'd like to. It's useful to draw a comparison between Iraq One and Iraq Two. So the the Iraq War of George H W Bush and the Iraq War of George W Bush. H W Bush got a coalition of the international community to support that effort. It feels like, and I don't know if the United States led this effort. We'll find out later. But that there is at least a coordination where the rest of the world is saying we want to get Maduro out. To mm-hmm. me, yeah. that feels more okay. I'm always really uncomfortable, very skeptical of regime change. I think you have to be very cautious when you do that. But if you have everybody on board, it, it feels a little bit better to me. So I'm, I'm a little bit right. optimistic about this, but you know, to our previous topic, this is gonna, it's going to be hard. This is not, you know, this is sort of Niebuhr talks about the difficulty of managing history, and I feel like we're, we're trying to manage history a little bit here, and it's, it's, it's going to be more difficult than we anticipate. History is written by the winners. Sorry. <laughs> that's that's just how it is. I think your point is good, Bill. I, I think about the, the uh, as you were talking, I was thinking about uh, Fog of War, Robert McNamara. Oh, I love that. Yes, he talks yeah. about in there at one point, looking back on it on Vietnam, this idea that if you can't get your allies on board with what you're doing, then you should reassess what you're doing. And so the idea that, that we do have, that we're not alone in this, we're not the only country that's pushing for, for Guaido over Maduro is is encouraging. So I, I I heard the bell, but I still want to ask. Yeah. That uh, the idea of the National Security Advisor having five thousand troops to Colombia written on a notepad that is photographed is um, either it's one of two things, right? It's either um, evidence of the uh, lack of professionalism of the Trump administration. Right? Yes, that's insane. Yes. Like that violate. Like that. That's like rule number one. That should never be photographed. It's either evidence of the fact that they're you know sloppy or idiots or whatever, or it was intentional. Sloppy like a fox. So, <laughs> so I could see that as well, with the sense of like you know this is a way of sending this subtle message about we're serious or we're willing to support this, but. That also seems kind of dumb. Do you like? Do you, is this is this dumb, or is this intentional, or is it intentionally dumb? <laughs> Here's <your> yes. Idea. <laughs> so there are a lot of dumb people in the Trump administration. Bolton is not one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he really is a. Leg- I don't agree with him on, on hardly anything, right. but he but is he's smart. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Now he's also an old guy too, right? <laughs> you know, so. I think it's entirely possible he was like, I'm jotting this note down, and I'm going to accidentally forget. I'm not. I, I forget that it's there. It, it's a mistake. It's a screw up. You know, it's not. I, I don't think it's intentional. I think he was being an old guy who forgot, and oops. But it may play well. Oh. How would that play well though? Like, what is? What, it's like, swaggering. Really? He's swaggering. <laughs> We're sending troops down or considering it. Uh, I don't think anybody would think that's a good idea in this situation. There's just no way that that would play well domestically. I I don't know. Yeah. Like I I thought I thought those two options too, Phil. And the more I think about it, that's such an obvious. Like there there were two things on on that sheet. Literally two things. It was not a lot of notes or something where you know you had to pick through it and figure right. it out. It was line two of two. Right. So <laughs> there wasn't a lot at the meeting other than right. that. <laughs> so I, I, I don't know. So you think it was just stupidity? No, I don't think oh, it was just stupidity. Think- I, 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 the more I think about it, the more I think it was a, a, a an effort at disinformation. Interesting. Um, yeah. I, 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 I don't know. 
There, I suppose there's another explanation. I've been in meetings before where someone says something so stupid that I feel the need to write it down <laughs> so I can tell other people about it later. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's what happened. Maybe someone was like, we should send 5,000 troops to Venezuela and Bolton was, I mean, to Colombia and Bolton was like, I'm writing that down <laughs> to tell my wife later on about how stupid these people were. I like that. I've been to a lot of meetings where that's the case. <laughs> you won't believe what this jackass said. Yes. Hold on, let me get my notepad. Oh, Oh, that was fun, Nick. Oh, my God. Uh, that was... That's exhausting. Yeah. <laughs> we, we hit on a lot of topics today. Yeah. Again, if you guys um, have questions that you want us to answer or have questions about the podcast or, you know, anything that you want us to talk about, um, send your questions in. Uh, Twitter at Barstool Paul. Facebook at Barstool Politics. Um, something Don't forget else. the Yahoo address. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, Barstoolpolitics at yahoo.com. <laughs> it's just, I cannot not laugh at that. Um, uh, wow, I'm losing my train of thought real bad you're today. Gonna you're going to be on Beezlebub.com. I'm going to be on Beezlebub? Something like that. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to do a, a live um, discussion thing on uh, Twitch and Mixer and Facebook. Um, so look for me on there. Um, all of those things slash uh, some jackal. That's my um, my online persona thing that you guys can check out. It's super fun and stuff. Um, so do that. Um, the podcast, uh, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, uh, Google Play Music, uh, most major podcasting platforms. Um, like us, review us, share us through there. Uh, Untapped, check out our beer reviews. Uh, we're Barso Politics on there. So uh, do that when you have a chance. Uh, and then predict it, like we mentioned at the beginning of the podcast. If you guys are new listeners or returning listeners, uh, predict it is a real money uh, political prediction market, uh, pretty much a stock market for politics. We can buy and sell shares in future political events. Uh, Barstool Politics listeners, if you open up a new account, you'll receive up to a $20 match on your first deposit. Um, so open up a $20 account. Predict it will match the $20, giving you $40 to use on Predict It. Um, just use the uh, promo link predicted.org slash promo slash barstool paul 20. Is there anything else? Oh, God. (laughs) I need more beer. Did I miss anything else? No, that was good. I love the Godfather. All right, can we just talk about it real quick? Just two seconds. Bill hasn't seen Godfather Part 2 and maybe seen Godfather Part 1. Should I, should do, I should do that? You should probably you should, do that okay. as a grown American male. You All should right. probably you leave, do that. You shouldn't leave the office right now until you've done those. So, so there's two good, things. I haven't yeah. seen that, and, and, and Suzanne Chad always makes fun of me. I haven't seen The West Wing either. I haven't seen that either. That okay, sucks. well, that's not so... Yeah. Sorry. But, no. You're going to compare that to The, the Godfather? The, Are you out the of West your Wing mind? The is also good, but The Godfather is... Okay. Is, Come on, man. All right, I'll put it on the terrible. list. Yeah. Frankie Pan's... Drinking champagne, champagne cocktails. <laughs> High up in the Sierra Mountains. Yeah. Anything else, guys? I think we're good. <laughs> All right. You guys stay warm. Yes. It's cold. It's very cold. Don't get fucking winter. Nick and our, our, our cars are probably not going to start when we go out to the parking lot. Yeah, I'm not looking forward yeah. to it, though. No. But cheers. <laughs> cheers. Yeah, see you guys next week. Cheers. <laughs>